Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Melanie Ho on the line. Melanie, how are you? Good. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to have you here. This is going to be a great conversation because you do something a little bit different in a space that obviously is getting a lot of attention. So why don't you share a little bit about you and then we'll dive right into the conversation. Great. Well, I have a different in kind approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion discussions. And it emerged out of my time working 12 years in corporate America. But before that, was an English PhD, taught literature, uh, have always loved to draw. I, I don't know if I call myself a visual artist. I still feel a little imposter syndrome about that, but I love art and fiction and screenwriting and just all the forms of the arts. Spent some time in corporate America also consulting and saw that when it came to diversity, equity, and inclusion issues and a lot of other similar topics where people would just feel stuck and these topics are emotionally charged and they're difficult and they're thorny and they're complex. And so I actually ended up returning back to my roots in literature and in art and now work with organizations using fiction and comics as a way to talk about DEI issues. That's amazing. As a comic book fan, I always love seeing different types of uh, creativity when it comes to you know, comic art and uh, especially with a very sensitive subject, as you said, because we have this dynamic of, especially in the workplace today, where you have multiple generations that are working mm-hmm. with each other. And the, we'll pick on the baby boomers for a moment. Um, I'm using that title as, as a societal, you know, basically identification for you mm-hmm. know, the people they're born. It's not being... Um, insulting or anything like that but the you have baby boomers you've got gen x you got gen y or the millennials you've got gen z and then the the alphas are mm-hmm. come, coming sooner than later as, fa- as fast as time is flying by so you could have a situation where you got five different generations working at the same time which is insane to think about but every one of those generations have different situations and have come up with things differently where you know, the older generation remember working in a time where it was pretty generic, and I'll use mm-hmm. that as a loose term, uh, generic as far as different types of backgrounds. There wasn't a lot. And now, because of the world, and we're a global world, there's different people from all over the planet that live and work in our neighborhoods and our countries, and it makes makes our country and our communities richer makes the food so much better <laughs> yep. um, <clears throat> i live in toronto and i split time between toronto and san diego but i live in mm-hmm. toronto and the food choices that i have are amazing and i grew up in detroit which they had some too but nowhere near mm-hmm. what, oh, they do now but not not when i was growing up so it just when you bring in different cultures you bring in different perspectives different viewpoints different experiences, different enlightening um, methodologies that come to the room. And it actually makes your organization stronger because you're looking at things from a variety of different perspectives. And that's a better way to serve the world. And organizations that have been proactive in creating environments where as best as possible, 
they can naturally create a diverse but inclusive environment, those are the ones that continue to thrive. Absolutely. And I think generational differences and how different generations think about DEI is such a great place to start. My recently released book, Beyond Leaning In, Gender Equity and What Organizations Are Up Against, is actually a novel and at the center of it is a little bit of a generational difference. The book tells the story of a fictional company, sort of a fictional case study where we go back and forth between the perspectives of male characters, female characters, different generations. But the CEO is a baby boomer. And she is puzzled because she's trying to understand despite the fact that she smashed a lot of glass ceilings and mentored a lot of women, she's finding that the younger generation of women rising into leadership positions, I think of them as the, uh, I identify as a a zenial, kind of in-between Gen X and millennial, and that the late Gen X, the early millennials, as they're coming into leadership positions, the women are quitting at higher rates than men, and they're less engaged than men on the surveys. And she's trying to understand why. And it's a little bit of her mystery story. She ends up getting reverse mentored by a younger woman by the name of Cassandra. And Cassandra helps Deborah see how much diversity, equity, and inclusion and gender gaps are kind of different than what Deborah was used to as she was growing up in corporate America, that Deborah was used to focusing on just representation. How many women are there compared to men? Are women in senior positions? She was focused on a world where in terms of perspective, she was taught this is how the boys club thinks and operates. And in order to succeed that you need to do that. And Cassandra and many of the other younger, both men and women at the company helped the book start to understand all that she's missing about why it's not just about numbers, what she's missing in terms of different kinds of perspectives and approaches to leadership as well. And that's a really good thing to highlight. And you brought up a point that I you know, had made a note to ask you a question about, because we've seen since the COVID pandemic, where a lot of, and you alluded to that a moment ago, where a lot of female leaders are quitting mm-hmm. and they're leaving. And my first reaction when I saw that was, and I do work in workplace culture and burnout prevention and all that in organizations. My first reaction to that is, and I we saw it a lot in, in the press as well, as a step back, it's like, oh no, you know, there's this yeah. movement that has happen because if you look at the population of the world and North American working people, you know the demographics of it. Yet there should be representation of not only women, but you know, every culture and all of that. But for women to say, we're not going back to that, mm-hmm. from from my perspective is the way that we work no longer works. It it, it probably never really should yep. have worked. We need to redefine how we work, what work looks like, when we work, when we don't, and create the situation where it's healthy for these strong leadership individuals that are leaving. The knowledge mm-hmm. loss and the, and the quality of the products and services that exist today and will exist in the future are going to be dramatically impacted because we are losing top talent because they don't want to work anymore. They're like, you know what? As much as I love making whatever they make, I'm a mom first and I'm staying home. 
and great, noble. You know, I, I support that, but there should be a way where they people don't have to make that choice. It should be both. You can have both and and contribute because again, the loss, you know, and I, I go back to my first job and many jobs in my career before venturing out on my own. Had more female bosses than men, which mm-hmm. is kind of unique in my situation. But I look back at all of those leaders, all the bosses that I've had, and the ones that were greater than others were were definitely female. And not just because they were female, but because they had a strong acumen. They understood what was going on in the environment. They knew what to do, when to do it, when to hold back, when to push forward. And it just it made things so much easier. And I'm, I'm just thinking about organizations going, we're losing all this top talent. And because the environment is not healthy or conducive for them to be able to do the things that they want to do and work, but also live their life and raise a family and do things in life that they enjoy doing because life goes by way too fast. We know that. And it just, it saddens me. So love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I love that you mentioned it's about the way that we work. And I think that's another area where I see generational differences really playing a big part. One of the comics I drew recently is a Venn diagram of the ways that traditionally women have valued behaviors at work and leadership at work. And the other circle is the ways that millennials and Gen Z and younger generations, what they value at work. And that actually there's this overlap that when it comes to things women have traditionally valued, authenticity, work-life balance, these more human elements to leadership that you're talking about, and things that millennials, Gen Z, across all genders also value, we see this intersection. And I, I hope that that is something that can be a driver for organizations to realize that not just for retaining and engaging women, but also for younger generations of all genders, we really need to be thinking beyond the kind of hustle culture, always on you know FaceTime in office, those being the priorities and get back to, okay, how do we treat one another? How do we value what our customer needs? How do we think about outcomes rather than the number of hours that you spend? And that's one thing too, that we've seen come from the pandemic where the great resignation, the great reshuffle, the reshuffle, the great mm-hmm. reset, all of these titles that we've come down is people have had time and they've taken some self inventory of what's important to them. And when they were away from the office mm-hmm. and working remotely, some thrived, some suffered, some had a mix of things, but everyone realized that, you know what, life, as I mentioned before, is pretty short. And do I feel like doing this? And we're seeing it in a lot of really important sectors, such as you know, the food industry, restaurants can't find people, healthcare, people are, are leaving by droves and they're trying to throw extra money at you know, nurses. Can you, you know, we'll pay you more. And they're like, keep your money. I don't want it. Mm-hmm. And our population is getting older and more complex because of our food choices and our lifestyle and all of the things that have happened over the last four or five decades were more complex as far as the diseases that we have now than we did in the 1950s and 60s. So that requires more healthcare. Typically, we need more healthcare people, not less. So throwing money to get people 
you know, extra money to bring, you know, get somebody in is one thing, but you need to bring a lot more people in because uh, the demand's going to be there. And I don't see, unfortunately, uh, human race taking better care of themselves. So we don't need to lean so much on the healthcare system. I just don't see that happening because there isn't, there isn't the motivation for it. Um, not from a healthcare standpoint, to be quite frank, because hmm. physicians mm-hmm. and healthcare providers are compensated well to treat patients when yeah. they are ill. They are not compensated well for preventative. Mm-hmm. You, switch, you switch that coin around, you'll notice something because you, you'll be getting messages from your healthcare provider. Please come in. It's time for this and this and this and this and this and this. And okay, let's review what you're eating. Okay, let's have you do a food intolerance test. All these things that can get you a better idea of how to live a better lifestyle for yourself. And just there isn't the motivation for it. And it's, you know, it's sad because it's just going to make things even harder on the system and, and for people. And again, you know, more more talent that's just saying, you know what, I'm I'm not going to go work as a nurse. I've figured out how to budget well. I'm just going to be a cashier at, you name the retail mm-hmm. store that doesn't sponsor my show. So I won't give them any credit. But at the end of the day, it's it, it puts a wrinkle. And I think it's going to make DEI initiatives harder because if people can't recruit people in the first place, how are they going to be able to recruit with a diversity and equity and inclusion mindset when they can't find people to work. It does feel like we're at this interesting fork in the road where during the pandemic, there was more of a prioritization at many organizations around treating people as humans, realizing that mental health was an issue in the workplace they needed to get their minds and arms around. And of a lot of humans saying, okay, we're in a pandemic. How do we spend more time outside and doing healthy things and cooking for ourselves and all of that? And now I think a lot of both organizations and individuals are fighting that pressure for things to be busy again or worrying about, well, the next recession and what's that going to mean? And does that mean that I can't keep some of the positive elements from the last few years? And we're seeing you know, several organizations, you see it in the news every day where there's you know, pretty large scale layoffs, which yeah. you, you see. I mean, if anybody's paid attention over the years and you know, when you get to be my age, if you paid somewhat attention, you're like, okay, I remember this. We've seen this before. This is mm-hmm. not new where Ford Motor Company lays off 3,000 white collar positions. Okay, well, you know, that's, that's going to happen. And eventually they'll, they'll lay off people that are working in the automotive plants as well. And yeah. That has a ripple effect in in certain areas where if you're in a state like Michigan, that's so still heavily dependent on the auto sector, that impacts everything. So Mm -hmm. we could have the the pendulum going from we can't find anybody to work to we can't find work. And it it always bounces back and forth. And with the backdrop of the pandemic, it has thrown some wrinkles. But again, going back to what we talked about earlier... With all these diverse backgrounds and age groups and everything all mixed into one, it's going to be an interesting road over the next few years to see how all of this sorts out. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're going to have plenty of things to draw. Yes. (laughs) You're not going to be bored. That's for sure. There's all all kinds of things. So 
uh, I, I would love to hear your thoughts. Just where, where do you, I guess, where do you hope things will go and, you know, be not to be pessimistic, but uh, where do you see things actually landing maybe in the mm-hmm. next few years? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, all of this is just so dizzying, right? And I, empathize with anybody running any kind of organization of any size, because trying to figure out all the complexities around right now, yes, we have a labor market where a lot of people can't find jobs and a lot of places can't fill jobs fast enough. And where are all of the mismatches and so many things that I think all the labor economists and historians will be writing about for years to come. And what does that mean then for someone who's just trying to get their job done as a manager or leadership, getting more done with less, uh, more demands, more complexity to manage. And so I spend a lot of time both drawing comics about these issues, but also using the comics to help leaders and organizational teams actually draw their own comics. I think people often have this sense of uh, being intimidated by the act of drawing because somehow, and when we're kids, kids are always drawing, right? And if you ask a kid who's learning their alphabets, they'll actually say that they're drawing their letters. They don't see a difference between writing and drawing. All of it is just creating and expressing themselves. And then we get older and someone tells us that we can't draw or in our head, we start to compare to things we see framed on the wall and we think we can't draw anymore. But drawing is actually a really great way to activate our creativity, to get beyond our usual walls, to just think differently, to process complex information. And so I've been spending a lot of time with leadership teams, just really not only talking about my comics, which is fun, but having them draw their own and draw their own as a way to process what's going on. And what excites me when I see people's drawings is that I think there's this real desire to come up with bolder solutions to how they do their work and that people are just hungry for solutions that will last that aren't just short term. And so that's when when I'm having my optimistic days and and let's face it, in, in 2022, we all have pessimistic days and optimistic days. But on my optimistic days, I think about these leaders who you just give them a crayon or a marker and they start to draw and they want to think big because they know we can't go back to what things were like before. You know, I love that you do that with teams and, you know, my, my common comment of people asking me, can I draw? It's like, I can't draw a, st- a stick figure if you spot me the sticks. So, but I'm better than that. I can. It's <laughs> just, can. It, I know it's just, you know, and I've seen enough, you know, I watched enough videos of comic artists and how they draw the faces and, and all of that. It's pretty complex. You know, like, okay, I see the, drew this oval and next thing you know it's Mm -hmm. like oh wow that's a character with facial features and wrinkles and and eyes and nose and it's like how'd that happen it's like go rewind the video mike and you'll see it it's you you watched it it's but sometimes for people they that self-talk gets bad but one thing you mentioned before you wrap up is I, i love the fact that you know the people you're working with and you're sensing that people want bolder solutions. And I, mm-hmm. and I sense that too, with people that I talk with. And even though everyone's frustrated about the job situation, the economy, inflation, war, all the things that are going on, there's this underlying desire to say, we can do better. Mm-hmm. We, we, let's do better. How do we do that? And 
hopefully in organizations, they're creating an incubator to allow those thoughts to flourish and come out and eventually you, you'll get there. And I think that's what's so important for, for all the organizations out there. So Melanie, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this amazing work you're doing? My website, probably always a good first stop, www.melanieho.com. I know all of this will be in the show notes, so I don't even know why I'm saying this. Y'all can go in the show notes, my website, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. I am one of those people that replies to every single message I receive. So always love to hear from folks. You can go to any of those social media channels and find out more about my book, Beyond Leaning In, see dozens of comics I've drawn and find out more about my workshops too. That's awesome. And yes, I'll definitely have all that in the show notes. So Melanie, thank you again for the work you're doing. It's really important and uh, continued success in everything you're doing. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.